This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there and thank you for downloading the Eye on Education podcast from the 24th of June. As the UAE announces billions of dirhams of investment into its cultural institutions, we took a look at the importance of extracurricular activities and school trips. We spoke to the Louvre and the Jamil Art Centre to find out more about their programmes for children. And we were also joined by Sajida al-Bashir, the Head of Arabic and Islamic Studies for the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Plus, as the demand to join the Scouts rises exponentially in the United Kingdom, we found out whether a lust for the great outdoors post-pandemic is fueling an enthusiasm for adventure here in the UAE. Plus, we went aboard a Norwegian tall ship to find out what a classroom is like in the A-plus World Academy. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. We have had plenty of stories uh, to fill our boots with over the last few days. And not least, uh, Zina, everyone's sort of turning their attention, I suppose, to the end of the school year now. Only about a week or two weeks to go until the end of the summer. And I think the heat makes everyone look forward to the end of term a little bit more. Look forward to getting away. Exactly. And it's quite evident on the roads this morning. Empty. Literally empty. It has been for the last two or three days. Exactly. Well, teachers and pupils, they're preparing themselves for the end of term celebrations and the start of the summer holidays. Of course, there were rumors that the school term for public schools in Dubai might change. But a top UAE educational official has clarified nothing will alter for teachers. Uh, Sarah Al-Amiri, the Minister of State for Public Education and Chair person of the Emirates Schools Establishment uh, told Kalich Times that the last day of the current academic year will still be Friday, the 15th of July for teachers. Most schools will close for the summer next Friday, the 1st of July, although some continue classes for one more week until the 8th. Now, private and public school pupils will return to school on the 29th of August. Oh gosh, we're being reminded about the first day of school again for the start of the 2022 and 2023 academic year. Okay, definitely don't need to start dreading that yet. We've still got a lovely break ahead of us. Uh, And as we just heard, uh, the team behind Expo 2020 Dubai have announced that as of September, they'll have a new schools program to continue the legacy of the World's Fair. Uh, Now named Expo City Dubai, the site will continue to host the Women's Pavilion, plus Terra, Alif and Vision. Now the Opportunity Pavilion is going to be turned into an Expo Museum where visitors will be able to revisit their memories of the mega event and learn more about how the organisers pulled everything together. Marjan Faradini is the Chief Visitor Experience Officer. She said that heading out there uh, and visiting the museums will feel slightly different. With regards to the school programme, yes, we will still have it. But what's really important to mention that it would be a bit different than what schools were used to uh, during the six-month event. We no longer have 200 countries, but we have amazing more than 10 attractions that we'll be working with schools on developing programs. And what's going to be a little different than the Expo is if schools visit Terra, uh, that get an option, an opportunity to do a workshop or a special program that's related to sustainability. So deep dive into topics. She also said that workshops and school tours at the pavilions will complement the school's curriculum. We don't want to add more burden to the teachers and we want to create opportunities that would complement their curriculum. That's what we did very well during the expo period where we matched our offerings to over 10 curriculums in the UAE. So we look to continue in that way and uh, whatever it is that we will be offering will be uh, carved in a way that's very much speaks to the curriculum that's speaking uh, that's being taught in the classrooms. Um, so, um, you know, we've already planned these programs. We're really excited to offer them to the school community. And, um, you know, we're here to offer a complimentary uh, playground to the school community so that they can, you know, continue teaching the kids, but in experiential ways. In other uh, educational news, the Mohammed bin Zayed University of Artificial Intelligence in Abu Dhabi has been ranked among the world's top institutions for computer science. Now, CS rankings rated the university as the 127th in the world, which places the, the Emirates University alongside institutions such as Notre Dame, uh, Osaka University, the Weizmann Institute of Science and other prestigious international schools. Now, the university has only been open for two years 
Ventures and currently focuses on AI, computer vision, uh, machine learning, and natural language processing. Now, the ranking means that the Mohammed bin Zayed University of Artificial Intelligence can now claim to be the top-ranked CS institution in the entire Arab world and in the Middle East and Africa, as CS rankings includes Israel as part of Europe. Meanwhile, demand to join the Scouts has reached the highest level since the uh, the 1940s in the United Kingdom. See, do you have the Scouts in the Philippines? Do you know what it is? We did, and I joined it briefly, but I think it's the American version, Girl Scouts. Uh, Yeah, so in England, when I was growing up, we had girl guides. You weren't allowed to be a Scout. I think it's all changed now. I think... You know, yeah, over the years, yes. the whole gender <laughs> thing has changed slightly with that. Uh, but I mean, literally, the Scouts organization in the UK says that an increased zeal, good word zeal, uh, for the outdoors post-pandemic is behind the surge of interest. We will have more on it later. We're going to be speaking to Monty, who is the founder and chief instructor at the Overlord Academy, uh, about how uh, his outdoor camp has been gaining in popularity as well. Uh, but the, the Scout Association said nearly 90,000 young people across the UK are currently on the waiting list and girl guiding so they do still exist uh, say they're also seeing a spike in demand with nearly 55,000 people waiting for a place. Simon Carter the national spokesman for the Scout Association said that in the last year membership has grown by 16%. There she is. Okay. I heard you're retiring. <laughs> I'd just like to thank you for everything in those formative years. I'm going to dedicate this next song to you. Wow. Okay, I just completely played the wrong clip there. But that was Harry Styles uh, at his concert. What was going on there, Zena? So... Actually, Harry Styles stopped a concert to give his teacher a shout out. It's his very first teacher. I can't even remember the name of my very first teacher. (laughs) But uh, her name was Mrs. Vernon. And as you heard there, he was on stage. Uh, They were playing, as it was, I think, instrumental in the background. Um, And he spotted her and just thanked her on the spot for, you know, teaching him and all those formative years. You can hear in there going, Mrs. Vernon. Love it. And then the BBC interviewed Mrs. Vernon, uh, (laughs) who was very, very touched. It started trending on Twitter. Listen to this. It was very emotional. It was a very touching, very lovely thing for him to to do. Um, And it was very special. And I do say thank you to him for for, for doing that and for for saying those things. So, yeah, it meant a lot. Harry was a lovely little boy. He was very sweet. He had a little bit of a cheeky side to him. He could be a little bit of a monkey sometimes. Very sociable, had lots of friends. Um, He loved music and he loved dressing up and all of those creative things in the classroom. He was was just lovely. Can you imagine? I I don't think, I think... I think if you went to my teacher from when I was four, they'd have absolutely no recollection of me at all. Who? Literally, <laughs> no. who? Don't know. Don't know. Maybe, you know, one of them is staying here and can hear you on the radio right now. I, I sincerely... Do you know, I'm going to they're still to, alive. So, I mean, in the next song, I'm just going to have to... If they're still alive. I mean... Am I that old? No, 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 yes. no. Oh, my gosh. No, I didn't oh mean that. Oh, my God. That. No, I am that old. If they were 40 when they were teaching me, they could easily be dead now. Easily. They'd be 80. It's getting really morbid. It's supposed to be a happy yeah, story. True. I'm it's so sorry. Story. Let's play a little bit of Harry Styles. Yeah, yeah, I just ruined the happy story. Completely ruined it. Uh, would you give a shout out to the teacher who taught you at four? Can you remember their name? And loads of people getting in touch with their first teacher from when they were four. Uh, ben says, I had Debbie Jordan at Nadola Trust School. That was in 1981. You're younger than me, Ben. Uh, Nathan says, I remember my teacher from when I was four. Her name was Mrs. Williams. She was my mum. Uh, ben also had like, his dad as his headmaster so easily remembering that one uh, Taryn's got in touch on 04871 saying my teacher's name was Mrs Hallows and I came home from school one day and said to my mum I wanted to be a teacher just like her and 33 years later I am an early years teacher that's so lovely uh, Prima oh my goodness my terrible terrible teacher when I was four was Miss Monica she made my life miserable and was just a terrible teacher she made me 
hate school and give me anxiety about teachers. And then when I went up, I had an amazing soul called Miss Louisa, and she was the person who restored my love for school. Prima, thank you so much for your message. Uh, this person has got in touch uh, with us on 4001. I don't know who it is, uh, but Mrs. Walters is the teacher. She had blonde curly hair and colourful dresses. She always told us about Wales and how it was one of the best places to see. I'm yet to see and visit the place, but I love how she made English fun. I love her. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. The UAE is investing billions of dirhams into its cultural infrastructure. In the last week alone, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, the Vice President and Ruler of Dubai, inaugurated a massive one billion dirham library in the Al Jadaf region overlooking the creek. Uh, It's spread across seven floors. The Mohammed bin Rashid Library has nine specialised libraries with more than a million print and digital books. This institution comes on top of plans for a new natural history museum in Abu Dhabi, which will join the Louvre in Sadiat Island Cultural District, along with the planned Zayed National Museum, the Guggenheim Abu Dhabi and the Abrahamic Family House. To add to the picture, this morning, the Department of Culture and Tourism for Abu Dhabi and Miral have announced another gallery to house the Japanese International Art Collective Team Lab, who I have honestly never heard of. I had to do a bit of research on that one. Now I understand. So this 17,000 square metre structure, which is going to be nicknamed the Home for Infinite Curiosity, will feature original and constantly changing art and technology, and it's going to open in 2024. But that is not all. We just heard from Marjan Faradouni. Many of the legacy pavilions at Expo City Dubai are going to be kept on as, as educational institutions with schools programmes for visiting children. OK, so just... That's your, that's your cultural landscape. I tell you, it's kicking off. Uh, but how important are these institutions for pupils in the United Arab Emirates? We all know that kids take school trips, but what do they actually add to their development? So to discuss this, I'm going to be joined over the next half hour by a veritable cornucopia of experts, starting with the fabulous Unz Katan. She's Head of Learning and Research at Art Jamil, which is a group that supports artists and creative communities here and across the region. And of course, they are based out of the Jamil Art Centre. Hi, Unz, how are you? Oh, I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure here in the studio, live and in person, which is very exciting. Now, for those of us who haven't heard about Art Jamil, I don't imagine there's very many, but you never know. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Where is it? What's it for? What can you see there? Of course, you had just mentioned the Jaddaf neighborhood, which is really upcoming as well in the cultural scene here. Uh, We're actually not too far off from the Mohammed bin Rashid uh, Library. And uh, we were inaugurated in 2018, an independent institution that, as you said, supports artists and uh, creative communities in the UAE and beyond in the region globally as well. And we do that through exhibitions, uh, research commissions. We've got 10 gallery spaces um, and also a library uh, that is dedicated to the arts as well with free entrance all around. Amazing institution. I mean, it's just more evidence of of how important culture is for the UAE government. And and obviously yours is a private institution as well. So obviously also for the, uh, I mean, I suppose the philanthropists, uh, the the successful philanthropists here in the country. Mm. I mean, you're probably better at describing this than me, but why is culture so important for a city? Oddly enough, we had the livability rankings from the Economist uh, Intelligence Unit just this morning, suggesting that it's one of those criteria that they look at. Uh, So what does that, what does culture bring to a community, to a city? That's a really, really good question. And actually, just on the topic of younger audiences and children as well, which is something that we kind of focus on a lot with lifelong learning at our Jamil. So we really believe that arts um, and the creative uh, sort of sphere is all inclusive and it's multidisciplinary in that sense. So. Um, the idea is that, um, of course, even when it comes to younger audiences, we all are creators at the end of the day. We're born creators. 
And we all uh, have that sense of um, we're born with that uninhibited uh, feeling of, of uh, sort of curiosity and exploration. Um, so it's, it's really important, I think, for, for the skills of the 21st century to form a well-rounded individual. We're talking here about important skill sets, be it openness, diplomacy, critical thinking. This is all you can, you can think of the arts as an overarching language or a tool that can be used. So we really like to push for this idea that um, in the center uh, here at, at Jamil, we really focus on lifelong learning for, for all ages, in fact. I really like your description of all the skills there. It's basically the things that robots can't do. All of those cultural, all of those, yeah, the sort of diplomacy, all the really human skills that you're not going to be able to machine learn out. Indeed. And it is, in fact, uh, you know, we talk often nowadays as well about the importance of also our mental well-being, that sense of well-roundedness as well in terms of like, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs in a sense, and sort of that self-actualization down the line, it's really an important aspect for self-expression that should be accessible to everybody. And that's what we want to kind of promote, that everyone is welcome. And there's literally something for for everyone. (laughs) I have to say, when I first came to Dubai seven or eight years ago now, Mm. I was thrilled that, for example, there was the Emirates Literature Festival. And and I find that every time I go to some of the the talks there, that that my mind is expanded, that I think about things from different angles. You you find triggers in different things, like little light bulb sparks in in different circumstances. I mean, what role is Jamil Arts Centre hoping to play in uh, what we're seeing here, which is, you know, a continued cultural awakening in the UAE? Absolutely. It's a really, really exciting time to be working with the public and audiences as well. It's an exciting burgeoning scene, I would say. Um, and especially uh, in my department, we work a lot with schools. We work a lot with younger children as well. And I think that exact moment you speak about that Eureka moment often comes to hand um, when when sort of interacting with different audiences as well. So it's really rewarding when you we invite um, a school a trip that focuses perhaps on a mathematics class, not even an arts class. And then they look at the arts through the lens of science, for example. And then you have this really rewarding experience that makes them realize that this is a whole inclusive opportunity. So the way that we usually go about these things is um, we develop uh, learning guides for children and families through our exhibitions as well. We have artist-led tours that happen. Uh, summer camp, we have a summer camp that's upcoming as well in July. And uh, actually something that I'm really excited to talk about is a Creative Careers Day that we're launching as a pilot edition in October. So it is about raising awareness to teenagers that there is a viable uh, possibility of pursuing arts as a career in in the Gulf in general, and that there is a growing uh, demand for that as well. And there are tons of possibilities. So we we interact on so many different fronts, be it with the teachers themselves, the schools, but also visiting families. Our programs can start as young as three years old. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, absolutely amazing to hear about those programs. Thank you so much for coming in to speak to us. Uns Katan, Head of Learning and Research at Art Jamil. And if you want to find out more about any of those programs, uh, the best website, artjamil.org. Yes, and we've got jamilartscenter.org as well. Uh, and you can sign up for all our workshops and happenings there. There's something every single week. Amazing. I'll be looking out. We're, we're taking the kids away for a few weeks, but then we will be back in August. So I'll be well up for some art classes at that stage or just educational classes, frankly. We'll be waiting. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Sister school to one of the most respected schools in the United Kingdom. Now accepting applicants. Applications from FS1 to U7. Have you visited a museum recently in the United Arab Emirates? We are talking about the importance of exposing your children to those cultural experiences. That as is as 
the UAE invests literally billions of dirhams in its cultural institutions. And it's also something that we could focus on this summer, whether you're traveling or staying here, if you go to a museum, or of course, lovely and air-conditioned. Um, the UAE has introduced a number of initiatives and destinations to improve its cultural infrastructure. One of the most exciting destinations to open here in recent years is, of course, the Louvre Abu Dhabi on Sadiat Island. It opened in 2017. My goodness me, it doesn't seem that long ago. And since then, the museum's opened both residents and visitors, and it's hosted, I mean, dozens of cultural events. Now, I'm joined now on the line by Amin Karshash. She is the Museography and Multimedia Mediation Manager. That's a lot of M's there uh, at the Louvre Abu Dhabi. Hi, Amin. Thank you so much for joining us on the line. How are you, sir? I'm 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 okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Georgia, for uh, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, on the show today. Do you know? Is that a real background behind you? There is that. At, is that the museum, or is that a picture of it? Because it looks astonishing. It gives you a sense of just how. Special. Thank you, thank you. It's it's both. It's a real background. Actually, it's a uh, of course it's a virtual one uh, as we are on a, on a video. But I can tell you that this uh, this background is just a few meters away uh, from where I'm sitting right now. It's fair to say that uh, it it is worth reminding yourself occasionally of just how incredibly beautiful that Louvre uh, building is down in Abu Dhabi. Now tell me, we are focusing at this programme on the importance of culture for children. I mean, what is your view on the ideal age to introduce kids to culture and the arts? Um, that's a very interesting question and Actually, I would uh, I would say that there is no ideal age uh, to to introduce uh, children to to to, to art and, and and culture, uh, as long as uh, we can show them uh, uh, storybooks with the images of, of artworks, as long as they can recognize uh, colors, shapes, uh, texture, then we can definitely uh, introduce them and speak with them uh, about uh, about arts and uh, and cultures. Now, if we are uh, really looking at uh, the, the the museum experience at uh, at all, uh, in general, I would recommend maybe to 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 start at around four years, uh, an age where children uh, can express themselves uh, verbally. So we can have discussion with them uh, about uh, the artworks on display. So I'm nearly ready to bring my children to a museum. They are seven and nine, but they're very energetic boys. And I've always felt terribly nervous about bringing them to art galleries and museums. But I think we're nearly there. I mean, what would be the best way to introduce children to the arts? Is it best to just take them for a stroll around the gallery or maybe, you know, wait for some sort of programme so you're not annoying other gallery visitors? Um, I, I think the best way, really, to uh, to to introduce them is to, to 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 try to be at their at their level, at their level, uh, and especially to take to take pleasure with them. Uh, I think what you need to avoid is really uh, uh, overwhelm them with uh, some sort of knowledge that they don't have. Uh, because I mean, there are like few chances that they will be interested in the in the experience. Uh, something very interesting to do is uh, really to 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 ask questions instead of uh, really uh, providing just uh, just uh, answers. And one really really successful uh, question to ask is just to to ask them what they see in uh, in, in an artwork or in visual arts uh, in in general. Uh, trying to 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 have them uh, get seen the colors uh, that uh, the, the, the artist used or uh, what kind of uh, materials. Uh, these are really simple questions, but uh, they are very rich in, in, in contents and can definitely uh, spark the imagination. Um, and our role uh, as parents uh, at the end of the day is to create the, 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 engage, uh, the, the conditions for the engagement of the children to to, to to, to happen. Uh, so we can look also for playful ways, uh, notably by introducing uh, some, some games or challenges, uh, for example, asking the children to, to try to spot some details uh, on, on, on the artworks. And this can be done like both by visiting the, the, the galleries or by attending specific uh, programs. Well, speaking of those specific programmes, uh, are there different ways in which the Louvre is catering to kids and getting them more interested in, in both local and international culture? 
Uh, definitely, yeah. Uh, one of the uh, like most popular uh, galleries in 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 the Louvre, Abu Dhabi, is actually our Children Museum, which is a, a gallery that is really dedicated to children and families uh, to introduce them to to topics related to 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 arts. Uh, so we organize the exhibitions with original artworks uh, uh, exhibited at the level of uh, of children, and uh, the, the the topics uh, addressed are done really in a, in a, in a very gamified uh, way to make it fun and easy for all the family to to to, to engage uh, with uh, with arts uh, we always we also have a full range of, of, of programs and activities uh, actually we have a very busy busy summer uh, coming with a lot of family weekends uh, that we uh, organize throughout the, 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 the summers. And uh, these are really the opportunities to, uh, to enjoy fun art making activities at the museum that are inspired by, uh, by the collection. So we have children from so many different countries here in the United Arab Emirates. Do you, and, and, and obviously we have lots of children who've got parents from different countries, so they're properly third culture kids. Do you feel that art transcends that? Is that, is that a way of communicating with all children, do you think? Or do you uh, sort of tune your programmes, fine tune your programmes according to nationality and age? Oh, uh Without any any doubt, I I, uh, I mean, uh, art is an universal uh, medium, and uh, uh, we address our our content to all uh, all the nationalities. Uh, and we have the chance at the Louvre Abu Dhabi actually to have uh, really a wide range of nationalities uh, visiting uh, the, the the museum. So as long as we offer a really a meaningful and engaging uh, uh, activity uh, for us, uh, this is really uh, the the main, uh, the, the main objective to keep them engaged and introduce them to, to, to art. Oh, it sounds like everyone's going to have a fantastic summer. I, I'm finding it very inspiring, all of these ideas of things to do with the children, because obviously once, you know, the outdoor closes effectively for a couple of months, it is wonderful to hear of all the activities that are taking place uh, over those summer months. Amazing to speak to you. I mean, thank you so much for your time. Uh, fascinating. I still haven't brought the kids down to the Louvre. You have totally inspired me. I'll be doing it this weekend. The, the Children's Museum is, is open uh, the, the whole week from uh, 10 to 6. We'd be happy to, to welcome you. Amazing. Thank you so much. That is Armin Karshash. He is the Museography and Multimedia Mediation Manager at the Louvre Abu Dhabi. His job title is clearly designed to uh, confuse radio presenters, uh, but nevertheless, a fantastic interview and fantastic uh, to hear about at the activities down there at the Louvre. This is Eye on Education on the agenda with the royal grammar school guildford dubai passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future ready young people yes we are discussing the importance of cultural institutions and school trips on the program today uh, the uae obviously has plenty to offer as we've just heard i'm joined now on the line by sajida al-bashir now she's the head of arabic and islamic studies for royal grammar school guildford dubai hello there lovely to have you on the line again how are you sajida how are you? Very well indeed. Thank you. Now tell me, uh, you've lived here in the UAE for many, many years. How important is cultural learning to children? How important is it that they get to visit these types of cultural institutions? Oh, thank you a lot. Heritage and culture are always uh, play a critical role in the personality of the kids. Um, uh, the the character of an individual will be formed by the cultures that they are exposed to, uh, and this is why, apart from the education and learning in classes, uh, exposure to the right cultural environment is also a must to groom kids into a better human beings. This is, I have to say, I'm feeling very inspired by this program. I haven't really taken my children to very many cultural institutions yet. They're now seven and and nine. What age should I have started in an ideal world? To be honest, um, as younger as they can be, uh, it's it's a great idea to have them uh, on school trips. Uh, when we uh, were very lucky uh, uh, organizing and taking our kids to expo trips, for example, um, here in RGS, we started these trips from FS2. We're talking about kids of uh, age three, three and a half. They were so excited to to go out of the classroom, uh, to be in the bus with friends and, and their teachers 
others and to spend the time learning about the world uh, in, in a different eye. So to be honest, as young as they can be, it's great opportunity for them to learn outside of the school. I mean, it sounds almost obvious, you know, I can almost imagine what some of the benefits are for children to go to these different types of museums, you know, to go to Expo 2020, to go uh, to the art galleries at the Louvre. But are there things that I might not have thought of that actually, you know, does it, I suppose it opens their mind, it gives them, you know, a different forum, but are there other elements? Absolutely. As I always, uh, it opens their minds and hearts. Um, these trips are not for fun uh, only. Uh, of course, I don't mind uh, having fun uh, time with the, with the kids, but it does promote uh, uh, free mixing. And when I say free mixing, it means that the children um, uh, with a broader view of other cultures will understand and accept other views and other opinions. They will respect the other faith, uh, uh, faiths and, and beliefs that they are away from their own. Uh, kids who are uh, uh, given the opportunity to explore the world, uh, uh, to visit museums, to, to have celebrations in school about other cultures, uh, these kids are um, uh, ha- will have a better uh, opportunity uh, when they are uh, uh, adults, um, especially uh, if they are uh, direct- directed really well into the right uh, environment. Um, last Friday at RGS, we have celebrated the nationalities uh, that we have in RGS in our international uh, day. And you cannot imagine the feedback from the kids, not only the parents and the teachers, but also the kids, how much uh, they have learned uh, from uh, each pavilion and each uh, country that they have visited. Do you know, I feel, always feel really inspired at the end of the Ion Education Programme to, to do a bit more with the kids, frankly, <laughs> to, to not come back from work and just collapse on the sofa with a cup of tea, but actually to pick them up and take them off somewhere. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to speak to you as ever, Sajida. Thank you for your time. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye. That's Sajida Al-Bashir. She's head of Arabic and Islamic studies for the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Do tell me, where do you take your kids? If I'm feeling inspired now, uh, what should I be doing with them? Alison's got in touch uh, saying, I take my daughter to many places to learn about culture and history. Uh, I run a website and social media accounts on places to visit outside Dubai. And there are so many, especially there's loads that are free for children or very cheap in Sharjah. Uh, Alison says that I should check out glimpses of the UAE. I will take a look at that. Thank you so much indeed. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Demand to join the Scouts has reached the highest level in the United Kingdom since the 1940s. Now, that's according to the organisation who say an increased zeal for the outdoors post-pandemic is behind the surge. The Scout Association said nearly 90,000 young people across the UK are currently on waiting lists. Meanwhile, Girl Guiding say they are also seeing a spike in demand with nearly 55,000 people waiting for a place. Simon Carter, who's the national spokesperson for the Scout Association, said in the Last year, membership has grown by 16%. Now, I wanted to find out whether this was also the case in the United Arab Emirates, whether or not the pandemic had also had an impact on parents' and kids' enthusiasm for getting out into the great outdoors. So we went on our, Zina and I went on our sort of research trips uh, and found a company called the Overlord Academy. Uh, I'm joined now by Monty Mavellian and he is the founder and chief instructor there and he joins me on Teams. Hi Monty, how are you? Hi Georgia, good. Great to great to be on the show. Thanks uh, for having me. Well, it's brilliant to have you with us. And, and we did a bit of research, and we discovered that the Overlord Academy is the first ever cadet club in Dubai. Uh, it's operated by you guys, your ex-British soldiers and officers, and the idea is to help seven to sixteen-year-olds defy their limitations, build resilience, and learn how to be self-reliant. Now, the reason why I've heard of you, and I have to come completely clean, is because my kids have both been on your camps. Yes. My younger one in particular has changed his life. He is obsessed with lighting fires in, in, a, in, and I, in a good way. Like he's not like burning his bed, but he definitely right. 
really loved it. And and we're going home to the UK this summer and he can't wait to get out there into the real world, as he calls it. Uh, and he's furious that we've made him live in Dubai where he's mostly in a city. But I, I mean, he's one of them. Do you feel that there is this same desire uh, amongst lots of families to get their kids out and about? And do you think it's a reaction to the pandemic? Is my theory correct? Yes. Well, Georgia, it's great to know that they've had, you know, had a great time with us. And, you know, that's exactly why we're doing it. And it's just, so, you know, I can't, I can't, um, you know, the whole team hearing that will be absolutely amazed to hear it because we are having an impact. And, and yes, that we are seeing that, you know, especially term on term, we are seeing a dramatic increase in people coming to us to say that they want their children to take part in activities like this. Every term that we are, we are running, we're seeing at least a 70% increase. It's higher than the 16% that you're saying with the scouts. We are new, so of, co- of course we're coming from a low base, but um, it's an amazing um, thing that we're doing, and and and, it, and quite rightfully, it, it should be it should be happening here in Dubai. And just because we live in a city, and just because the weather is not as nice to us as we want it to be, it doesn't not mean that something like this cannot exist and therefore our mission uh, our mission statement is is very much to build a cadetship program for schools in the uae and it's to inspire the leaders of tomorrow very similar to the scouts and i can't put, talk on behalf of the scouts who, who are an amazing organization as well but as you may know in the uk there are two different types of youth club there is the scouts but there's also the cadetship program or combined cadet force or army cadet force or however you want to call it, air cadets and sea cadets. And it's not something we have here yet um, or we have now. And, and, and we base what we are doing not necessarily on a combatant type of um, training, but on a search and rescue, mountain search and rescue feel to it where we as ex-forces instructors are able to pass on some of that um, resilience and that, that training that we have had to the younger generation and youth of Dubai. So that's what we're doing right now. Okay, so what type of skills do they learn other than lighting fires? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a variety of things. And, and it goes from everything that you would find in a, a cadetship organization. And in fact, I know that you work a lot with RGS and, you know, and there's also Repton School. And all these schools back in the UK, they have a cadet program in the school. It has been running for hundreds of years. The first cadetship program was back in 1860. They did it because there was a, a threat of invasion from France. That did not happen. Then it had another big intake in World War II. That didn't happen as well from an invasion. But everyone saw the benefits of what a cadetship program can deliver to the youth, and therefore it has continued. So it is 50 years uh, senior to Scouts and has been going for a long time. And, and actually, a lot of schools are coming to us to try and put that back in, not necessarily into the curriculum, but also even if it is a case of an after-school club that they want that's something different. Um, the skills that they learn vary. We are massive on leadership. We are putting them in a position where it doesn't matter if you're the prefect at school, whether you're a captain of the sports team, everyone should be given an opportunity to be able to lead a team. And what we do is we do it in a very fun environment, but an active and outdoor environment. And all the things that, you know, you've mentioned one, which is about, uh, light, you know, lighting fires and things. These are just tools in order to get us what, to what we want to do. It's, it's using things that get them out into the outdoors. And, and we use tools to be able to enable us to build the character. And, and it's really important, This I, I stress on this, is to build the character of how we're going to progress our youths as they get older. And that the, main, the main thing that I'm finding right now is that we... Um, as society, are too com- we are too obsessed with performance and not necessarily the trust or the character that an individual has in an organization. And if you look at us in the armed forces, we don't look at anything in terms of performance as someone we want in our team. And because of life and death, uh, you know, the seriousness of, it, the seriousness of it, we want someone who is trustworthy and loyal and has the character that will be able to fit into what we do. So... That is really, really quite important. And, and that trust and the performance element, it's, it's what we try and bring in from the cadet. So it's a vast variety of skills, life skills, um, and, uh, and of course, you know, touching on the outdoors and making sure that they have a lot of fun at the same time. So, yeah, I mean, you lots said, of different things. Um, it sounds absolutely brilliant. You, you said that you've seen your um, membership go up by 70% each 
term. Do you think that there has been a bit more of a, a, a of a push because of COVID-19? Do you think when we were all locked inside our houses, we all started to appreciate the great outdoors a little bit more? Yeah, I, I do think that has been, an, I do think there's been an impact in there. I mean, looking at the UK right now, the government is so keen on the cadetship programme that they have officially announced, based on a study from the University of Northampton, they have said they want to increase the cadets in their schools to 60,000 by 2024. And that just shows the, the, the reason as to why they want to do it and, and the benefits of it. Now, the pandemic has certainly had an impact. Um, but I would say that before the pandemic, we were still seeing a, an issue where digitalization is a big thing. And I've always stressed that we, uh, we it's not about stripping that out. It's not about saying that, you know, we don't believe in the digital, you know, you're not keeping up with the times. That is absolutely not the case, because at the end of the day, those that don't embrace the digital world are going to be left behind. And And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get them away from the screens that they have a lot they have a lot of time on their screens okay they have a, they're 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 at school at home wherever they are now this is an element where we pull them away from it and it's helping them it's helping them in so many ways i'm hearing from parents that it's helping their anxiety i'm hearing from parents it's helping their self confidence you know their self esteem and at, 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 and ultimately the character unless we start finding an algorithm that is going to say to, let's say we take the British Army, for example, unless we start finding an algorithm that's going to tell us the morale of that soldier or whoever's that we're in command of, leadership is fundamentally human. And that will never, ever go away. That despite how much technology we put into the world, you know, we always say that the British Army doctrine is that no matter what, whoever is behind that screen, you are going to have to look them in the eye and you're going to have to inspire them to carry out a task. And that is a human endeavor. That is leadership is human skills. So it's it's really pushing that. And that those human skills post pandemic have probably not been um, where we want them to be. And therefore, the surge that we're seeing is a case of right. We need to we need to be able to like bring this back and and, and be able to help the the youth get back into the, the ways that they were um, before. So yes, I do think that is that is having having an impact. Yeah, I mean, oddly enough, um, one of the first Ion Education programs I did, we talked about the fact that uh, how the pandemic has set children back, and we spoke to the uh, the principal Claire Dunville of the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, and she said the reality is is that um, the younger children are okay, but the children who uh, have missed out on socialising are the sort of young teens and they have, they've literally missed out on two years of normal life where they would have been in school and they're great at socialising with adults because they've been at home with their parents but they're not necessarily so good at socialising with their mm. peers and I imagine sort of efforts like this if you go out on camping trips, if you're going out into the desert and uh, doing these types of leadership tasks will really encourage children to develop those sort of more social skills Do you do it for girls as well as boys? Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's open to, to girls and boys. Um, you know, our chief of staff is, is, is Amy Parkinson. She's an ex-major. Um, fantastic. You know, she comes and she inspires a lot of the, you know, the, the girls that we have. In fact, I'm, I hate to say it, but the, the girls, well, I, I don't hate to say it. I'm, I'm pleased to say it. I've got a daughter, so I should be able to say this. But uh, it's great to see that the girls are actually taking over some of the boys. And, and that is in our hearts where we want to try and you know keep inspiring that that you know the the females and then and and the girls to be able to say you know they can do whatever they want and it doesn't have to be in this ordinary you know ordinary route um of of what society expects them to go down i think that the, the thing is as well what you touched on there is the older um the older sort of coming into teens you know unicef um i know said that one in five uh, are suffering at the moment 15 to 20 year olds are suffering from that lack of you know connection and that 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 sort of anxiety and 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 almost feeling like they don't want to get up and do things now the younger ones in our in our troops um, as you say it goes from 7 to 16 they're great they you know they're getting involved they're getting stuck in now the the older slightly older ones they're going to need they they're needing a bit of time and coaching but when we put them in a facility like um, our partner Okay, and they're they're one of the the best, um, most advanced uh, crew training facilities here in the UAE. They're, they're called Dynamic Advanced Training. When we put them there in a in, in a scenario where we we put them into a wave machine with rain coming down at them and the chaos of an Arctic room and the you know the search and rescue mountain search and rescue element. When we do that with our partner in facilities like that, it's amazing how they snap and change and gives them a new lease of life. And and I think. 
we have to keep doing it. It's not something that can be a tick in the box. Let's just try and do something you know, once or twice. It needs to be that they continue to put themselves in this sort of environment. And this doesn't stop. Okay, this, The cadetship program goes all the way. But then when you go to university in the UK, the UOTC, the University Officer Training Corps, is also another version of the cadetship program we have here in schools. So when they go into that, these skills will set them up to do whether something they, they, they want to do something like that or, 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 or to just give them those, those, that character and the life skills for when they move on out of here. My mission is to burst the, bub, the bubble, Georgia. That's what I'm doing. You're I'm bursting all, everyone the says Dubai you live bubble. in Dubai. <laughs> what I love is the idea that somehow there's a room that you can go to where it creates the conditions of the Antarctic and, and a storm. I mean, that just sounds bonkers. Is that here in the UAE? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have exclusive uh, exclusive rights with schools now to take them there. You know, we had uh, we actually took a school trip there um, only a few days ago. I, I'm, I'm not I'm not joking. This this facility is incredible uh, and it's designed for, you know, air crew. OK, but but we, we know that by working with people and facilities like that's great. And the added thing is it's all that everything is possible. OK, everything is possible in life, no matter what. And I've always been told that through my training. And if, you, if someone says to me, you can't run a cadet club here in the UAE, and I say, I can, because I can work with facilities that I know are going to deliver what I need them to deliver. And that, that facility is indoors, right? So it's about trying to find those environments that allow us to do what we want to do. You know, we, we camped, we camped indoors. And then we, we did the survival experience inside of the sea survival room. But allowing the, the other thing that really does get me is when people say the younger generation of today haven't got what it takes or aren't as good as the, you know, the PlayStation, you know, PlayStation generation and things like that. That's not the, that's not the issue. We're just not putting them in an environment to test them. Really? And, and until you do that, you won't notice it. Really inspiring stuff. Monty, thank you very much. Clearly, I'm going to have to send the kids over to you so they can become even more, uh, adopt even more of a leadership role in our home, which is slightly scary. Um, but Monty Mavellian, founder and chief instructor at the Overlord Academy. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really interesting stuff. Great to hear that more kids are indeed getting out into the great outdoors. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Right then, we are continuing our conversation about the importance of the great outdoors. This is all off the back of the fact that demand to join the Scouts has reached the highest level in the UK since the 1940s. Membership's gone up by 16%. Now, aside from getting the kids to explore the outdoors and nature, another aspect of being a girl guide or a boy scout is social responsibility. And I'm joined now on the line by Oliver Finneran. Now, he's from an organisation called Fathers and Kids Camping. They're a Dubai-based network of dads that meet on a monthly basis with their kids and go on mind-blowing adventures. They've been going since 2010. Uh, They started off literally just going camping in the desert here in the UAE. Uh, But since then, they've developed and now do a lot of activities outside the United Arab Emirates to help uh, different communities. And he joins us now on Microsoft Teams. Oliver, hi, how are you? Lovely to speak to you. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for having us. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a great, great, um, great journey. Sorry, yeah, 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 it sounds yeah, like it's, it's been an absolutely amazing journey. I've spoken to uh, Farhid in the past as well. And I, I sort of know a vague sense of how it how this group has grown uh, over the last decade. I mean, during the pandemic, I guess it must have been tricky for you to do your camping trips. Um, but I guess those have restarted now. Have you seen an, an increased enthusiasm for them since the pandemic? Well, I, th- I think this is one of the things that uh, is, is the reason why we're seeing this boom in interest. Again, with father and kids camping, um, we're seeing friends that we've chatted about this to in the past that weren't really in- interested in joining us and now suddenly uh, wishing to, to, to join up and uh, we're even tonight having a meeting with, I think, about five or six new candidates. Um, and I have many, many more waiting uh, for the next season to, to start. So I think I think the, the pandemic just reset people's um, mindsets a little bit, trying to get the kids out of the instant gratification of media and digital devices and, and sort of get out there and explore the, the environment here. Again, look into the deserts when you're driving down the high street in your car and pretty much looks barren and like dead. 
but obviously once you get out there you realize that it's just it's completely alive everywhere you look there's insects animals um even near our house here we have gazelles uh, monitor lizards and and all sorts just around the corner but obviously when you're shooting past in the car and kids are on devices they just miss all of this do you think you need special skills to go out and do it uh, because one of the things that i have to say i found most inspiring about you guys was that ultimately it just started as like a group of dads and their kids taking the kids yeah. away from the mum so well, the mums could my... relax <laughs> A great, a great sort of example of that. My story started with father and kids camping group when uh, they reached out to the Land Rover owners group here for somebody to teach them how to drive safely um, in the desert. And I happened, knowing it was a father and kids camping group, to take my daughter, Rosie, who was at that point just over two with me and um, and and. Uh, basically that was the the start of the story and where we are today sort of now five six years on um but yeah having having a safe understanding of how to navigate and drive in the desert in the mountains in the wadis um is 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 fundamental uh, obviously we have our own internal workshops that we make people go through uh, if we're going into the larger environments like the Rubal Kali or as we know it, the Starfish Dunes near Alain and Shuihan. Um, but yeah, I, I think you really uh, you need to have a fundamental understanding of how vehicles operate and how to navigate the dunes. Um, that comes with experience, unfortunately, but obviously joining groups like ours, you get this training in-house and, uh, and, and there are many other organisations out there that provide training for off-road driving. How about uh, outside the UAE? Because I know that you guys started simple. You know, you started around the campfire and then all of a sudden you started organising socially responsible trips abroad. Tell me a bit about those. Yeah, obviously the the key, we'd sort of hit the removal of devices um, and then around the campfire discussions uh, sort of evolved with Vahid uh seeding the idea to 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 look at obviously giving back yeah. um some of us are out here are sort of in positions where you know you you we just live day to day you don't really think about it obviously we're so close here to so many regions where you can make a difference um so so that from that chat around the campfire we reached out oh, sorry from that chat around the campfire Vahid actually bumped into um, unrelated, the, a lady, Kathy Hadley, I think her name was, um, from Mothers Without, Bo- oh, Mothers Against Borders, I think the company is. Um, and from that point, a, hat- a plan was hatched, and uh, and yeah, she she needed a classroom built, and so we we looked internally to see if that's something that we could all achieve. I'm from a construction background. So and again, we have, have teams inside that work in solar power. Um, and yeah, we, we it, that was it. That was the seed that started it. And from that point onwards, um, we, we went there, built a school block, added solar electricity to some of their other blocks that then became the only school in that entire region that had electricity. Again, which is mind blowing for children when they've come from um, from this very advanced and modern city to go to an area where obviously once once the sun's down, the lights are off. Uh, you know, there's there is no no power. So it's, it's quite an uh, enriching and eye opening thing for, for children to understand. Um, and obviously to be able to give back uh, and, and help out in these communities is amazing. So from that point, since that initial one, we've we've held projects now in in Zambia, Kenya, Tanzania, Morocco, Rwanda, and we have a, a project planned in Uganda later on this year. So, and those those projects all seem to aim around obviously school levels for our children and uh, working with the communities. So we're doing a lot of. Um, infrastructure sanitary work so so solar powered water stations um and in in kenya for example that we have children walking as you've probably seen on many tv reports children walking miles uh, and actually missing school as well um as a result of having to go and fetch water in the mornings 
It really does sound like this this small group has really gone on to the most extraordinary things. I mean, if people want to find out more, uh, I've just checked out the website fathersandkids.com uh, if you want to get involved. And I know that uh, Oliver and Farhead, Farhead are both uh, very, very active within the community. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about it. I really appreciate really inspiring stuff. Uh, and certainly... It, you know, gets people thinking just ahead of the summer holidays, you know, instead of just the, the kids spending the whole time in front of the screens, they, they can well, get out Well, just remember that the, the season isn't over yet. They're, you can still escape to Oman um, and, and you've got the mountains there, camping spots above 2,000 metres. So the, there is the ability to, to get out there and explore still today. Oh, that is inspiring. Right now, we're all feeling the heat slightly. So we just need, just need to go high. While everyone else goes yeah. low, go high. Uh, <laughs> Oliver Finneran uh, from Fathers and Kids Camping, a Dubai-based network of dads. They meet on a monthly basis with their kids uh, and go on mind-blowing adventures. They've been doing that since 2010. Very, very inspiring stuff. Do check out their website if you want to find out more about it. Fathersandkids.com. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Sister school to one of the most respected schools in the United Kingdom. Now accepting applications from FS1 to Year 7. Now it is time for our weekly segment where we visit an unusual school. Our My Classroom feature takes us around the world. We have been everywhere from the Indonesian jungle to the Ugandan bush and the swollen rivers of the Bangladesh. And now we are taking a trip to the classroom of the A Plus Academy. Now, that pretty much gives nothing away. Uh, but we spoke to teacher Adam Rule, who's also their Director of Admissions and Business Development. Development, I should say. And I started by asking him to describe the school. We are outside of the box in pretty much every way at A Plus World Academy. So we are on the oldest active fully rigged tall ship in the world. And that is a Norwegian tall ship called the SS Sorlanda. It's a 212 foot or 65 meter tall ship. And so our students join us for their, uh, the full school year and their classroom is actually on the ship. And so every class is conducted in our ship, but we take that ship around the world. So we travel to 15 cities, 12 countries, cross the Atlantic Ocean twice. So that's where our classroom is located. Okay, that is just totally wild. Do the students join for the entire year? Does that mean they basically don't go home for a year? That's right. So our students join. We take one cohort of up to 64 students, between 60 and 64 students every year, and they're with us for 10 months straight. So they get two weeks off in our parent ports. But other than that, they're with the program. And we found that that is the method that's best for creating, I mean, one of the best communities I've experienced in education. So, yeah, that's what we do. Okay, so I went to boarding school, so I know what it's like to be away from your parents for a certain length of time, but not that long. Do they literally not see their parents? Some students might literally not see their families for 10 months straight. And so we are asking a lot. You know, we only take students who are aged between some 15-year-olds, but through 19 years old. So those are the only age range we take. So they're a little bit more mature is the hope. Um, But, you know, homesickness is absolutely going to be a part of the experience. And that's an expectation for us. We train our staff to be prepared for that. We communicate that with the students that that's something that they can plan on feeling. We prepare the parents because sometimes they miss the kids more than the kids miss the the parents. Then we handle it as it comes. But it's funny how much you've learned to love a family member when you're away from them for 10 months. So Absolutely. I mean, it sounds like the most incredibly intense experience. I presume that the children are the crew as well as the pupils. That's right. They're students, adventurers. You know, they are part of the maritime crew. They're doing at least four hours of maritime responsibilities a day, two during the day between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. and two in the night between 8 p.m. and 8 a.m. And that's a rotating schedule through the year. And so they're involved in everything from the the maintenance of the ship in terms of painting and cleaning and preparing food and serving meals, uh, as well as actually sailing the ship, learning the lines, climbing the masts, going out on the yards, dropping the sail. They're involved in pretty much every aspect of the program. And it's pretty cool to see how they get to, to grow with us for the year. Do you have a, a mix of girls and boys and, and where do they all come from? Our program is, is you know, we're on the Norwegian tall ship. And so uh, there's that strong tie to the Norwegian heritage. So we take students that are from all over the world, but at least 50% of our students are going to be from Norway. And then the other 50% are going to be from countries from around the world. So that's Peru, Brazil, Japan, Austria, the United States, Mexico, Puerto Rico, Bermuda. So we take students from all over and every year, you know, we're growing our international student uh, footprint. 
This year we've had uh, this last graduating class was 80% female, 20% male. But yeah, this, this upcoming year is, is closer to 50-50. And that's our goal is to have 50% male students, 50% female students. So we got a little bit of a hint there of what the school day looks like, because on top of managing the ship and the tasks and the jobs there, of course, they got to do their GCSEs or their A-levels or whatever exams they are meant to be preparing for. Yeah, that's right. We teach American curriculum. So they're taking their AP classes for a school first that ties in all of these other elements. The teachers are giving in-person classes on the ship with the students. Uh, Those teachers double as mentors as well as teachers. Okay, so give me a little bit of a sense of a day. Yeah, so a typical day at sea, you know, so we only do classes while we're sailing. So when students are sailing from France to Portugal or, you know, they're sailing from Puerto Rico to Bermuda, you know, while we're at sea is when we have our classes. And and those days look very similar. Students are up at 6.55, lights are on in the banyard where they sleep. Uh, They sleep in hammocks. So all the students are in hammocks in the ship. So they're up at 7. We have a communal breakfast. At 8 a.m., we're on the main deck of the ship where we do our muster, and that's where we go through daily news. We talk about uh, how we've sailed over the last 24 hours. We talk about anything going on specifically for that day. And then we clean the ship for 45 minutes. So everyone from the teachers to the maritime crew to the students are cleaning the ship for 45 minutes. And then after that, we're breaking off into those maritime responsibilities as well as classes. So some students are you know, in their their AP psychology course, and some students are doing homework for their biology class that's at uh, you know, 11 a.m. And some students are climbing the masts and, you know, moving the sails so that we end up, you know, where we where we need to go. So that's kind of what we do from 9 a.m. until lunchtime, which is at 1130. And then at 1130, we have the first cycle of lunch. And then at 12, we have the second cycle of lunch. Uh, we have a small break in the afternoon. And then we pick up classes again at two o'clock from 1400 until dinner time, which is at 1800. Uh, we have classes uh, in the same same kind of scenario where students are, you know, taking their math classes, science classes, English, or they're doing their maritime responsibilities or they're doing free time, which is which is a lot of fun because one of the unique parts of our program is that we don't have Internet on the ship. And so students are actively engaged in real relationships on the ship. It's not a digital world for us. It's a tangible, real, physical place where we exist and get to interact with one another. So that's crafts and board games and dance club and exercising and some movie watching, of course, but uh, listening to music, reading, writing, painting. So that's what students do in their free time. And then we have dinner. And then after dinner, I think the the best part of the program begins. That's when we have the clubs and the evening activities. So that's going to be karaoke, hula club, dance club, coding club, my favorite baking club. Uh, We get into the, the kitchen, bake, have a dance party. And then, of course, you get to eat chocolate chip cookies and, you know, whatever we make. So I think that's the best. So that's that's a typical day. And then uh, lights out at uh, nine, quiet hour until 10. And then it's uh, to bed. And we repeat that cycle until we arrive in the next city that we're visiting. Wow. OK, it just sounds very, very cool. It sounds very, very intense. What happens when you get to port? Because you said that lessons stop then, because I guess, mm-hmm. you know, you have to explore. And how do you choose which ports to stop at? So in, in terms of ports, we're picking places that are, of course, accessible, you know, that have an accessible first ship um, and then have you know, good cultural background, interesting things for the students to do while they're there, as well as being good hubs for, for, for the sailing community where we can go and they are able to, to take a ship like ours in. So that's St. Malo, France, that's Setubal, Portugal, Cartagena, Spain, uh, Madeira, Portugal, Las Palmas, Canary Islands, Cabo Verde, Africa, and we cross the Atlantic Ocean. And we work our way from Granada, St. Martin, Bequia, Puerto Rico, Bermuda, back across the Atlantic to Azores. Uh, and then we're in the Netherlands. Um, we're in uh, a surprise port. And so that's a port where the students get to collaborate with the crew and f- pick a place to go. This year it was Copenhagen and then back to Norway where we finished the school year. So that's our voyage plan. We'll be repeating that. Um, and then, yeah, when we get into port, I think. I like being at sea. I think sea life is, is amazing, but I think one of the, you know, the amazing parts of the program is the fact that students are getting the chance to travel to all of these unique locations. And so when we're in port, we really have four specific types of activities. Uh, one is going to be still continuing their maritime responsibilities. So doing gangway watch, you know, making sure things are safe on the ship. Uh, the second activity is going to be an academic day where we get the chance to go to a local high school where we're visiting and the students get to interact with peers from the places that we visit, as well as use their facilities that we might not have access to, to do physics labs, biology labs, use their computer for further research. 
And then the third activity is field experiences that we integrate in both service learning as well as cultural experiences and, and a little adventure as well. So that's um, everything from helping with the ecological restoration in Bermuda to cleaning out the canals and doing a canal tour through Amsterdam to whitewater rafting, hiking, waterfall lagoon swimming, snorkeling, chocolate factory tours. And then the fourth activity that we, we have, students are able to go and explore the cities on their own while we're in port, which is anywhere between five and 10 days. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Right, we are continuing our My Classroom feature. That's our weekly segment where we visit an unusual school. And this week, we're taking a trip to the classroom of the A-plus World Academy. That's a boarding school on a Norwegian tall ship where teenagers sail around the world while completing their studies. Now, teacher Adam Rules already told us about the route they take around the world and how they spend their day. But I wanted to find out how much the school costs. So the price is fairly high. The Norwegian students have a special price that they get for being Norwegian. Um, they get a special government grant. But they're not Norwegian students. The price is fairly high. It's 61,000 euro for the school year. And I think that we give the, the families back at least as much as, as, they're, as they're paying, if not more. Um, and so we're, I'm pretty happy with, with the kind of experience that we've crafted for the students who join. And the kind of student we're looking for, I think, you know, we kind of have two Two groups here. We have the students who are interested, and then we have the, the parents who are interested. And the best is to find the blend of the, the families, the families who are interested. And so, for students, I'm looking for adventurous, curious, compassionate, uh, creative students um, who are who are willing to, to to put themselves out of their comfort zone. Like I said, it's an intense program, um, but for the students and the right kind of student, this will be a life changing experience that doesn't really you can't go back the same person that you joined at the beginning of the year. And then for families. I'm looking for families that are kind of outside the box thinkers. This is an outside the box program. So a lot of the times we're meeting families who are entrepreneurial, who are used to the adventure component. We're asking students to live together in a confined space for 10 months. And so it's, uh, I need them to be respectful of others, compassionate, curious of other people's cultures so that they can learn new things. That's who we're looking for at A+. Is it ever scary? Because, I mean, my sister's crossed the Atlantic and she described some of the yeah. nighttime sailing as really quite daunting. And you guys are in this massive, old-fashioned, tall ship. I mean, it's, it's the most extraordinary vessel. Yeah, it is beautiful. And I think, you know, there's a lot of pride in the fact that our students are involved in maintaining and sailing the ship around. Um, but, you know, I mean, OK, there's, there's, there's my perspective. I would be scared in some of these circumstances. But the students seem to love the experience for the most part. Uh, for example, as we're doing our Northern Atlantic crossing, we had some weather pickup and the ship is just rolling like crazy. You know, water's crashing over the sides and the students are out there. They're, you know, having a blast. They're jumping up and down. They're working the lines. And they, I'm like, you guys are absolutely crazy. You're out of your mind, but they love it. By this time of the year, you know, they've been sailing eight months and they're just thrilled to be out there and, uh, it's it's really neat to see students who have no maritime experience become not only really proficient, but really proud of being able to participate in a program like this. I mean, if you had to describe your school's mission, what would it be? Final question. As an academic institution, we want to set students up for future academic goals. So, you know, preparing them for their university years. But beyond that, you know, I think is preparing students for an increasingly globalized world where they're going to be interacting with students from all over the place. Uh, they get the chance to go to a bunch of places that they've probably never been before. So preparing them to be as open-minded, as experienced as possible as a teenager, and in addition to tackling something like this and going on into the future, knowing that you've done this kind of year, you can accomplish nearly anything if you put your mind to it. That is teacher Adam Rule from the A-plus World Academy, which is that boarding school aboard a Norwegian tall ship where teenagers basically get to sail around the world and cross the Atlantic Ocean not once but twice while completing their studies. It sounds absolutely amazing.